This is entitled The Religion of Christianity. Have you ever noticed as we grow in the doctrine of the body of Christ, we our departure from Christianity seems to grow wider and wider. Like the good Bereans of Acts 17.11, we search the scriptures daily for the truth of God to the point where we even challenge some very key words that have been seared into our brains by traditional Christianity, such as angels, baptism, communion, heaven, hell, mystery, dispensation, church, gospel, and so on. Many rightly divide nothing. Some rightly divide between maybe Peter and Paul. We rightly divide everything. We even rightly divide Paul. So, we have studied recently some questions such as, where does the word church come from? Is the Bible holy? Uninspired words in the Bible. Or how do you answer the question, are you a Christian? Well, why stop there? Why not question the very origin of Christianity itself? Christianity is said to be the largest religion of the world. So how is Christianity defined? Well, here are some definitions. The religion of Christians. And a Christian is a believer in the religion of Christ. Christianity is the system of doctrines and precepts taught by Christ. Christianity is a religion based on the person and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. Christian is an Abrahamic monotheistic religion based on the life and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. Christianity is the religion derived from Jesus Christ based on the Bible as sacred scriptures. Christianity is the faith tradition that focuses on the figure of Jesus Christ. Well, in our recent studies, the things that I've been studying and sharing with you guys is we've been like archaeologists digging down to the very foundations of where Christianity started. And we, you know, myself, I'm a Protestant. I was a Protestant for 20 years and I was a Catholic for 30 years before that. So we've gone all the way back to look at the, before Catholicism, the anti-Nicene fathers and who taught or wrote about the history of Christianity. And that would be uh, Eusebius, Eusebius and uh, Philo and Tertullian. And they spoke about earlier apostolic fathers, Ignatius of uh, Antioch. Uh, Polycarp of Smyrna, and Clement of Rome. And then we found that a couple hundred years ago, there was discovered a document called the Didache, which goes all the way back to maybe it was originally a, 
a teaching piece for proselytes in the synagogue, how to behave as a Jew. And that was changed into something else, and it became the teaching of Jesus Christ through his 12 apostles to the Gentiles. Well, we know that can't be correct. But we've noticed there's no evidence of any understanding of the mystery of the body of Christ that Paul put forth in his post-Acts epistles. So why does traditional Christianity not teach the mystery of the dispensation of the body of Christ? Instead, they are either ignorant of it, or they're opposed to it. So, what is the source of the difference between Judeo-Christianity, what they teach, and what dispensational truth teaches about the body of Christ? This conference is being broadcast by two forms of electronic technology, one called Zoom, and the other one called Peltalk. And as I recall, the first time I signed in to Peltalk, I had to then uh, go to a heading called the Christianity and, no, it was called Religion and Spirituality. And then I had to go to Christianity. Then I had to go to the Mysterian Truth Bible Study Voice Room. By the way, if you're new to this conference, uh, this lesson is going to be considered maybe some advanced teaching. Now, as I've studied the Word of God for about 20 years, and I'm coming to understand what it means to come to the knowledge of the truth, my favorite verse now is 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. 1, 2, 3, 4. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. For it is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who wills that all men should be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. Sounds like a simple two-step process, right? Be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth or come into full knowledge or come into further knowledge of the truth. Now, you may agree that, you may agree with what I'm about to say or you may find it a shock to your little brain. Or you may not uh, necessarily, it may not necessarily represent the beliefs of everybody in this fellowship. But to make a point, I'm going to challenge the listing on Pal Talk. If the Mysterious and Truth Bible Study Voice Room represents the body of Christ according to Paul's dispensational truth, then it is not a subcategory of Christianity. I realize it needs to be listed that way for the world. It is correct and true that Christianity is a religion, but the body of Christ is definitely not a religion, nor does it agree with the tenets of Christianity. When I began to understand the mystery of the dispensation of the body of Christ, several questions popped into my mind, like, why was I not taught this for 50 years and going to church? Why did Christian theologians miss this in all their Bible knowledge? 
Or is this for real, or is it some theoretical trick of the devil? Then the difficulty came in studying God's Word to put aside all the wrong things I was taught for 50 years going to church and try to discover what God was trying to teach me in the Bible. A year ago I sat down and began to list all the new things that I learned after I quit going to church and began to independently study the Bible. With 25 lines to a page, I filled up five pages. The next day, um, I thought of a few more. I filled up five more pages. That's about 250 new things that I learned from independent Bible study. And some were very shocking to the very core of my beliefs. People say, count your blessings, Al. I say, I can't count my blessings. There's too many. <laughs> Good point. So where did Christianity come from? If it is a religion, did Jesus Christ start a religion? The word is used five times in the Bible, and four of those speak of the Jews. The fifth one gives the biblical definition of religion in James 1.27. Now James, this is the brother of Jesus who wrote this epistle. And he says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself spotted from the world. Wow, that's a lot different than what we see as religion in the world, is it not? In the Greek, 2356, Praskia is the word for religion, means ceremonial observance. It's been translated as religion or worshiping. I learned that the English word religion speaks for itself. It comes from the Latin re-ligo. Re-ligo. Re means again, and ligo is like ligament, and it means to bind, a binding. So religion means to bind again. Religions are bound to a creed or a closed set of beliefs or some system of worship. In this fellowship, we are bound to nothing but each other. We are bound to the truth of God's word. Our set of beliefs are never closed. They're always open to further knowledge of the truth. Religion is in opposition to the freedom of the truth of God's word. I remember hearing Wayne Stewart say a few weeks ago that Christians just seem to go to some 
religion and park there. They, they, they never move on. Lutherans park with Luther and Wesleyans park with Methodists and never went any further. They don't go on. Maybe churches shouldn't have parking lots so people can't just park there. They have to move on. John 8, John 8.31. John 8.31 says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, ye are my, my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Verse 36. If the Son therefore make you free, you shall be free indeed. And some of you have heard my quirky saying before. Religious freedom is an oxymoron. There is no freedom in religion. Religion is an invention and a tool of Satan, is it not? And it's rooted in the account of Cain and Abel in the Bible, if you want to go back that far. Certainly in the account of the Tower of Babel. And I always say that was the first brick and mortar church, the Tower of Babel. Second Timothy 2.15 tells us we must rightly divide the word of truth. And that's within the Bible itself. But in the world, we must rightly divide the word of truth from the lies of, the, of religion that comes from Satan. In my labors to rightly divide the word of truth, it's become apparent to me that in the past I didn't understand the deceit of Satan and the power of his darkness. Satan uses his power very effectively in two areas, the Bible and religion. Since the Christian religion is supposedly based on the Bible, then the power of darkness has had great influence on the translations and interpretations of God's inspired word, which has resulted in not only the, the creation of a Christian religion, but also great fragmentation of the Christian religion. Ergo, instead of unity, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of denominations. If the Christian religion was truly based on the truth of the Bible, it seems there would be true unity of one body, and that one body would be growing stronger to perfection. But what do we have? We have a body that's greatly fragmented, weak, and cancerous, and giving away to Satan and Satan in the world. The Bible is commonly known as the Word of God. Internally, the Bible itself gives evidence of this in 2 Timothy 3.16. And we all know this verse. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Well, it should be noted that nowhere does it say here that scripture is profitable to form a religion. Religions are the invention of Satan rudiments of the world, which began in our earth age with the account of Nimrod in the Tower of Babel. Colossians 
He says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Rudiments of the world are things that originate in the world. Religions are rudiments of the world. If Christianity is a religion, then it is one of the rudiments of the world. Colossians 2.20 says, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. If you look on page 1780 of the Companion Bible, there is an introduction to the epistle to the Colossians. And I think Ronnie just read this last week, last Sunday. And I want to make one correction to section 2 entitled Subject. Colossians, like Galatians, proclaims our freedom from the elements or rudiments of the world. What those elements are is sufficiently explained by the term ceremonialism and the rites and ceremonies of religion as distinct from cross out the word Christianity and put in there the body of Christ. Hence, Paul's earnest admonition against a return to such Jewish or Christianity or other such, inasmuch as this is to deny our completeness and perfection in Christ. Practically, it is to say that he is not sufficient, that something more is needed to be added to him, some ordinances wanted to make us quite complete. But as the apostle unfolds to us, we die with Christ. And consequently, ordinances are of no use to dead persons. In this epistle, all practical holiness is shown to spring from the holding of true doctrine. That is, our life is the outcome of our belief. That our standing being complete and perfect in Christ, we cannot grow in this standing. But we may grow in the knowledge, experience, and enjoyment of it. So change the word Christianity to the word body of Christ. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. And Mike just read this in the last hour. Since ye be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, and not on the things on the earth. For ye are dead, for ye died, and your life is here with Christ in God. Religions are those are things of the earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. We died. Religion is no use to a dead person. As we study what happened at the end of Acts, the religion of Christianity grew out of the de either the denial or ignorance that Israel was set aside by God. 
It grew out of the opposition or blindness to the mystery of the dispensation of the body of Christ as revealed to Paul. The Jew now does not exist in the eyes of God. There were those that believed Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah and who continued in Jewish ordinances and the traditions of the laws of Moses. They were subject to ordinances. They were the Judeo-Christians. You've heard that term, right? Judeo-Christians. By the way, what are Judeo-Christian principles? We studied the name Christian not long ago as being a derogatory name for those Jews who believed that Christ and Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah of Israel. The name Christian is likely a dispensational name that should not have been carried beyond the end of the book of Acts. Notice that Paul never used that name in any of his 14 epistles. The term Judeo-Christian comes from the Acts period. These Jews who were called Christians were of the kingdom, hope, and calling. This is where the religion of Christianity claims roots. If Christianity claims its foundation on Peter, the, apost the apostolic fathers, and the anti-Nicene fathers, then understand that these are those who continued in the ordinances of Israel and the traditions of the laws of Moses. They were not chosen to become members of the body of Christ. If Israel was set aside at the end of Acts, then the ministry and the teaching of the twelve apostles was also set aside. They failed to convert the nation of Israel to believe in Christ. We studied the Didache, that's D-I-D-A-C-H-E, if you want to look it up. We studied the Didache, the writings of the Apostolic Fathers, and the ecclesiastical history of the anti-Nicaean anti Fathers. Their writings reflect the continuation of the Acts Doctrine that was set aside by God. They were Jews who, from the Judeo-Christian teachings and traditions of Acts, continued beyond the boundaries established by God at the end of Acts, and their followers morphed into the religion of Christianity. Well, how could this happen? Let's go to Acts 21, 17. Acts 21, 17. Now, this is when Paul came into Jerusalem for the fifth time, his last time in Jerusalem. And we read here, and we, when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the day following, Paul went in with us into James, unto James, and all the elders were present. So the apostles were there. And this is James, the head of the assembly at Jerusalem, the brother of the Lord. And when he, when, when Paul had saluted them, Paul declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto Paul, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews 
there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. Well, I think that's a little of an exaggeration, but that's not what Paul taught. And they were informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither walk after the customs. What's up with this, Paul? So, I believe, as Paul was told to go to the temple to take a vow with these other guys, I think Paul was set up by James to be captured. Because when Paul came out of the temple in the courtyard and was captured by the Jews a few days later, where were the saints? Why didn't anybody come to Paul's rescue? Or to his defense? Because his apostles feared the Jews, and Paul didn't fear the Jews. So God was working his plan. Paul preached that the Jew no longer needed Moses and the law under the covenant of grace. During the Acts period, Paul was teaching the Jews to forsake Moses and the law for the freedom of God's grace. At the ending of the Acts, the mystery of the dispensation of the body of Christ was revealed to Paul, not to the twelve apostles. Their calling and purpose lies elsewhere. According to Ephesians 3.9, Paul's second ministry was to make all men see the dispensation of the mystery of the body of Christ, which from the, the beginning of the world was hidden God. The Christian religion simply grew out of those Judeo-Christians who didn't see it. Simple as that. But the Judeo-Christian teachings of the twelve apostles continued as though the Lord had not stopped his clock with Israel and as though God had not revealed anything new to Paul. So I believe that the people Paul was admonishing and warning against in his post-Acts epistles were the very ones who were creating the religion of Christianity. Keep that in mind the next time you read these epistles. The founders of Christianity were going off in another direction. Here's just a few examples if you want to uh, flip through these with me. Uh, 1 Timothy 1, 3, 5, and 6. 1 Timothy 1, 3, 5, and 6. He said to Timothy, As I besought thee to buy still at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge them that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, not of a good conscience, out of faith unfeigned, from which some have swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Go to 1 Timothy 4, 1. The next page, over. 
Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Well, being a former Catholic, that sounds like a foreshadowing of Roman Catholicism. Let's go to Titus 1.9 for another example. Titus 1.9. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he might be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things that they ought not, for filthy lucre's sake. Down to verse 16, they profess that they know God, but if in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Turn the page to Titus 3, 17, 18, and 19. <clears throat> sorry, 2, 17, 18, and 19. No. Um, I'm sorry, 3, 9. 3, 9 says, But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. Let's go to Philippians 1, 5. Philippians 1, 15. I'm sorry, Philippians 1, 15. Some indeed preached Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, another not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, with notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached? Go to 3, 1, 2, and 3, the next page. Philippians 3, 1, 2, and 3. Finally, my brother, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me, is indeed not grievous, for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. And um, 3, 17, 18, and 19. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk not as we have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. Ephesians 4, 14. We've read all these before, and now putting into the light that these are the very people who may have started the religion of Christianity, Ephesians 4.14 
15, 17, 18, 19, that we henceforth walk, henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they wait, lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly <clears throat> joined together and compacted that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part making increasing, making increase of the body unto the edifying of love in itself. This I think, therefore, intensify in the Lord that he henceforth, henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. The Gentiles just followed the Jews. The, the Jews went the wrong way. The Gentiles just went with them. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Ephesians 5, 6, 7, and 8. For this you know that no whoremonger, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not, be not ye therefore partakers with them. And 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Colossians 2, 18 and 19. <clears throat> Colossians 2, 18 and 19. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head of which all the body by joints and bands have nourishment ministered and knit together increasing in, in, with the increase of God. And lastly, 2 Timothy uh, 2, 16, 17, and 18. <coughs> but shun profane and vain unto more ungodliness, and their word doth eat as a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, and who concerning the truth of error, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having the seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And 4, 3, and 4. For the time will come, and they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. <clears throat> so the Jewish believers may have hit the wall with Paul when it came to the body of Christ. And many of the Gentile believers just bubble along with these Jewish believers. When you think about it, trying to tr teach a traditional Judeo-Christian today about the dispensation of the body of Christ is not unlike Paul and his follow, the fellow laborers trying to teach the Judeo-Christians of their time about the same thing. Consider Philippians 3.13. Paul would say, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. So the Jew would say, well, Paul, during the Acts, you told us to forsake 
Moses and the law for grace, but now you're telling us to forsake Judaism altogether for something we can't even find in the scriptures. The Christian would now say to us, you're telling me to forget all those things I was taught in church and Sunday school. Or Philippians 3.14, the next verse, press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The Jew might say, well, we're waiting for the return of Jesus, you know, the second advent in the kingdom of heaven. The Christian now might say to us today, well, we're waiting for the return of Jesus, you know, the second advent in the kingdom of heaven. Ephesians 4.17, Paul says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. I believe Paul was speaking to the very Gentiles who departed from him and went down that closed kingdom road in following Satan in the Judeo-Christian lie. Well, the lie was, there's, there's still a kingdom, hope, what are you talking about? God didn't close his road. Well, that way is not the truth. But notice Paul called these people ignorant and blind. Ephesians 4.23 That ye put away concerning the former practices of the old man which is being corrupted according to the deceit of the deceiver and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man which after God was created in true holiness and righteousness. Wherefore, having put away the lie, speak every man truth with his neighbors. So what Jew is going to not only forsake Moses and the law for pure grace, but also forsake all practices and traditions of Judaism for completeness in Christ? Being dead to the law is one thing, but being dead to my religion, that's going too far. Imagine a Jew putting away everything he was taught from a child about Judaism to follow Paul's way. At least... These Judeo-Christians over here still believed in the Old Testament, baptism by water, the Lord's Supper, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's return. Jesus is coming back any time now, and I don't want to miss the rapture. Can you imagine the difficulty the Jews had in following Paul beyond the ending of the Acts? Paul did not have a good reputation with the Jews. He was hated. He was pursued constantly. He was often captured and beaten and stoned and imprisoned. He changed his doctrine twice. Even the twelve apostles and James, the brother of the Lord, had their issues with Paul. Paul only met the apostles three times in the book of Acts, and two of those were confrontational that we know of. And if you read Hebrews 6.10, let's turn to Hebrews 6.10 just quickly. Hebrews 6.10 gives us a clue to whom Paul was writing Hebrews. And I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. He said, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. 
So who was Paul writing Hebrews to? I'm not so sure that Paul wasn't writing Hebrews to the apostles. They had some things to learn from Paul. These are the <coughs> circumstances under which I believe Judeo-Christianity continued on in spite of Paul and his post-ex mystery of the body of Christ. They continued in the traditions of Judaism in the name of Jesus Christ as their Savior and King. They continued in their hopes of a restored kingdom under the king who was to return. They crashed right through the barriers of Acts 28.28 and continued on the road of Satan's deceit and lies, making things up as they went along, being wise in their own conceits. So witnessing to a Judeo-Christian today is no different than Paul witnessing to a Judeo-Christian in his post-Acts ministry. It is hard to give up Christianity, going to church, the ordinances, the holidays, the holy days, and come unto the further knowledge of the truth. We can say to Christianity what Paul said to Peter in Galatians chapter 2 in Antioch. They walk not upright in the truth, and why compel us the Gentiles to Jews and Jews? The body of Christ <coughs> is not a church. The body of Christ is not a religion. The body of Christ is not Christianity. We have been called out of that. We have been rescued from the power of darkness. The body of Christ is a choosing out by God to fill full Christ, who is our head. To the intent that now to the principalities and powers in the heavenlies, the manifold wisdom of God may be made known by the body of Christ. That's our purpose. Paul's second ministry was to make all men see the dispensation of the mystery of the body of Christ which is also our ministry. Amen. Thank you.